Well, we find ourselves in John again this evening, so if you'll turn with me to John chapter 5, which you'll find in your pew Bibles at page 1057. This is the third sign that John captures for us. With an intent that we may believe in Jesus Christ as our life. Now, we are going to only read the first 18 verses as the preaching text, but we will most likely make our way through a good portion of it this evening. Because all of chapter 5 is a teaching about this sign. John chapter 5, 1 through 18. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Brothers and sisters, there's a, a, a sign on the way here on the 65 coming south, and I noticed it today, this, this evening, and I realized how much it has to do with our passage tonight. Maybe some of you passed by that sign. On one side, it's really two signs. One side, it says, Jesus is real. And the other side, it says, hell is real. And that's what we have in this passage. We have this beautiful picture of heaven that Christ heals these people in the sign. And we'll talk about that. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, 9b, if you look at it, it's not even verse 10. 9b, now that day was the Sabbath. The very next thing that you hear is someone saying, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. An accusation. Ultimately, rejection of Jesus. This was a little bit of a difficult passage for me to get my mind around. Because we have our Sabbath rest in Christ that is in heaven. But then yet we have a rejection of Jesus. And if you look at the rest of the chapter, that's what you see. Christ is saying, you're rejecting me. And that's the point of this whole thing. That Christ is a two-edged blade. And I realized as well in this car ride here. That verse 14 
is so critical to this, where he, he finds the man later and he says, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Because I, tried to, I was struggling. What is the one theme here? Is it that Christ is a two, the two-edged blade? Yes, that is the theme. But this is a warning. We're going to see how Christ is our, the only way to heaven, and that is, how, that is also a warning to all of those, even our own hearts, who would seek to reject him. He's the only way. So we're going to look at the third sign and how Jesus reveals himself as a true Sabbath rest. First, by making a broken man whole. And that we're going to look at the miracle itself. And secondly, Jesus reveals himself as a true Sabbath rest by verse 17, by his works on the Sabbath. And in that point, we're going to look at this immediate rejection of Christ. And we're going to look again at what works he does on the Sabbath, or the Lord's Day now, and the future Sabbath in heaven. So first, by making a broken man whole, Jesus reveals himself as a true Sabbath rest. And there are three points that I want to talk about within that. The context of the miracle, the question from Christ, and then the command by Christ. So first, the context. Verse 5-1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. Normally, John will say which feast that is. And we have uh, Reverend Vanderhart at the school will often say, gallons and gallons of ink have been spilled talking about this or that. And I think this is one of those things, because in the commentaries, you'll see they give a lot of details about what day would this have been, but all of them conclude that we really don't know what that is. And I think that's because John is drawing our attention to a different holy day, the fact that it's on the Sabbath day. And for that reason, he leaves it blank so that we don't take the meaning of another day. But that also tells us that all the men of Jerusalem were to go up to Jerusalem at this time. Excuse me, all, all Jews were to go up to Jerusalem at that time of the year. And we have a picture here of these pools now, just as, just as a reminder, maybe you're not, you've never heard this before, but the temple itself was massive. It was 30 soccer fields in size, like six by five, something like that. That was the size of the temple. And again, hundreds of thousands of people would be here at this time of the year. And just adjacent to that were these pools, and they found evidence of these pools. It's under a church now. These pools were also huge. Each one was about the size of a football field. There were two of them. And when it says colonnades, colonnades are just a row of columns with a roof, a long row of columns with a roof. And so what you, what you can kind of see now is two pools. There's four columns, columns, uh, colonnades going around those two pools and then one going through the center. And around them, a multitude of sick. I think given the time of year, it was probably hundreds. We don't know, of course, how many. Probably hundreds of sick, though, I would imagine. And then we're drawn to the, this one man who's been there for 38 years. John describes this multitude of invalids as blind, lame, and paralyzed. And this really stuck out to me because that third word for paralyzed that John uses means shriveled up, dried up. Now, as far as this particular man's sickness, actually, again, the, the original language keeps it quite broad. It just says he's a sick one, a weak one. But we're told in the text that he, would, he wouldn't be able to get up and to get into this pool. He would need someone, a man, to lift him, to bring him into it. That he'd been lying there, lying in that condition for 38 years. So I think we can assume that, that he's a lame man. But I believe that for 38 years, if you understand the, the way that, um, that your muscles can deteriorate in such a short period of time, in fact, I've heard that 
after about a week or so, then every day after that of lying down, it would take weeks for each day that you've lied down, lying down to just strengthen your muscles again. So imagine someone lying there for 38 years. This man would be a dried up one, a shriveled up one. His muscles would be essentially nothing. Yet the man, 38 years in this condition, is here. And why? Well, commentators believe this. It says here, in his answer, he talks about the stirring up of the water. It's a little bit of a strange thing, but they believed at that time, and even Calvin said that he believes that this was, was actually a, a miracle that would happen in this pool, where when the water would be stirred up, people would jump into the pool, and the people that would be able to go in there first would be healed of their diseases. It's kind of a strange thing. Whether that's true or not, this man believed it, and so he came. Did he come every day? We don't know. Maybe they came during the feasts. That would be multiple times a year. But it had been 38 years, and he is still here at the pool, even though he knows that were the, the waters to be stirred up, he wouldn't be able to get in. And yet he's here. And then Christ comes up to him. We know who Jesus is. This man didn't know who Jesus was. So a stranger comes up to him and asks him, do you want to be healed? I think it's good for us to ask, how did Christ ask that question? But we know who Jesus is, don't we? This man understood that Christ asked it in love and concern for him. He probably didn't see it so much as an offer, which we understand it to be, do you want to be healed? But he probably looked at it more as a heart-searching question by one that cares for him. And he gave a heart answer to Christ. And he basically says, even if the water would be stirred up, I wouldn't be able to get into it to be healed in time. Essentially, he's saying, it's not possible. Do you want to be healed? It's not possible. I was listening to a sermon by Alistair Begg I don't know, a couple months ago. I listen to it often now. It's, such a, it's a very powerful sermon. It's blessed me. And in that, he, he says something really interesting. He says, if he were to go, we could think of it maybe downtown Chicago. If he were to go into a big city and ask a question, even with as divisive as the world is right now, he's pretty sure he could get everyone to agree to one thing. And that is if he said, is the world broken? Pretty much everyone would say yes. I think that's probably true. I think you could push it to another question, and I think most people would also agree. You say, is the world broken? Yes. Are you broken? No. You look at the society around us today, Christ saying, do you want to be healed? Does a society think that they're broken? Do they want to be healed? If you look at the sexual rebellion that we have nowadays, even to the point where they're hurting themselves, harming themselves in such obvious ways, there's no care because they're seeking self-autonomy, self-rule. What about death in the country, in the culture? They hide death. They hide sickness. They hide illness. There's a, a friend of mine at the um, seminary. He said that his grandfather, when he was born, he had a shriveled hand, basically. And the doctor hid him in a box and told the mother that he didn't make it. He wasn't alive. Fortunately, later this was found out that he had hidden this baby. But that's where the culture is going. Sicknesses, children with sicknesses, let's get rid of them. Let's hide them because they don't want to see it. They don't want to be reminded that we die because of our sins, that we are broken. 
In John 1, it says, when Christ came, his people rejected him. It's as if he said, the world rejected him, and yet some believed. And this man, when Christ says, do you want to be healed? He doesn't say no. In fact, though he doesn't say yes, I believe that you can read that into his answer. It's as if he said, yes, but it's not possible. And that's, that goes the same for us as well in our brokenness. We, especially as Christians, can't shut our eyes to those very same things. It's easy for us to become busy in life. We can't shut our eyes to the effects of sin in our culture, the effects of sin to ourselves and our families. Death. When, when you have a marriage and you have a wedding, beautiful, that two become one flesh. But because of death by sin, that flesh will have to be torn apart. One of them will have to bury the other. Children have to bury their parents. Lord willing, parents will never have to bury their children, but that happens as well. Now, this is all physical death. But don't we know more of eternal death? It's something I think about often, those that I work with, that I love, that are not believers. What will it take for me to share the word of God with them? If I were to see them going into two elevators, one to heaven and one to hell, of course, the, the door to hell would be a large elevator. And I saw him standing there. Would I be able to reach out then at that time? Yeah. But what's the difference between that situation and where they are now? When you're going 55 miles an hour past someone, it's a couple feet between life and eternal damnation. Would, I, would we say to them, you know, do you have a second? And if they're in a conversation, we won't ignore them? Or will we pull them? Wouldn't we pull them to tell them about Christ? We can't shut our eyes to the damage of sin. We can't shut our eyes to the fact that we are broken and that we need healing by the Lord through Christ. This man, though he may not have even known who Jesus was, we don't even know if he ultimately was a believer, but this sign, we're given an image of a man who has no answer. Yes, I want to be healed, but it's not possible. And this man that he sees, and he, he sees love in this man's eyes, and then he hears the words, get up, arise. And the first thought I had was, was this man, did he think, are you serious? He wouldn't think that because he'd see power, power in the word. He'd hear it, and then he'd feel strength in his limbs. He'd feel strength in his legs. Imagine for 40 years, he'd never heard these words, get up. And in this moment, he probably never thought again he'd hear that, get up. Do you think that it was a pain for him to get up? No, of course he wanted to get up. He probably wanted to leap up and to leap around. Brothers and sisters, Christ talks about this in this chapter. At verse uh, 25 through 29, we won't read all of it, but Christ talks about the hour. The hour is now here. Christ has come, the life of man, spiritual life. Those will be resurrected from the dead. But there's an hour that is coming in the future, that's verse 28, when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Just like this, he'll say, rise, and all will rise. But we have to know at that point, we are broken and it is only in Christ. And the next thing that you see here, after this miracle, at verse 9 and 10, 
the next thing you see is, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. This man who had been healed for 40 years, I'm sure nothing's going through his mind, and he stopped. You can't do that. It's the Sabbath. And this is our second point. We're going to look at this, a clash over the Sabbath. <clears throat> I think it's important for us to talk very shortly about what the Sabbath day is. What was it made for and what had the leaders, John calls them the Jews here. He means the leaders of the Jews who represented the people. They, rep- he rep- they represented Israel. What did the Jews make the Sabbath day into? Well, just quickly, we hear the, the Ten Commandments every Lord's Day. And so we know that in Exodus, it's, it's explained to us that it's rooted in the creation. On the seventh day, God rested from his works. But here, Christ says in verse 17, my father is working until now and I am working. And of course, we know that God didn't just create a clock and wind it up and set it down and go his way and go watch, not knowing. No, he, he controls all things. He rules over all things at all times. But his work of creation had stopped. And what did he say about his creation? It is good. It is perfect. That is until the fall. Corruption, sin, death. So in the root of the Sabbath is pointing back to that time of rest and wholeness that we have with God. But we're told in, also in, in, in uh, Exodus as well, um, well, actually maybe in Deuteronomy, it talks about how we are to remember that the Lord has delivered us. So we can think about completeness in God, deliverance in God. Hebrews talks about the future Sabbath that we have, which is the consummation of all things to rest in the final work of Christ in heaven. So in other words, Sabbath day, we call these Lord's days now because they've been fulfilled in Christ. He, he rose on the first day of the week. And so now we call them Lord's days because the Sabbath has been fulfilled. And yet there is a day in the future where everything will be uh, come to pass in its finality. So the Sabbath day was to cease from our works that is, our worldly works, our works for profit, our business transactions, and to rest in God's works. But, and it's not unique to chapter 5 of John, the Jews didn't understand that. What had they made, made this day into? Really, it was the opposite. Could you rest with all of the laws they had? I could go over this all day. It's, it's really funny, all the rules that they add in the Talmud. I'll just go over some of them. But, but they had made resting into work into the work of man, instead of resting in God's works. They had some rules like this. You can only walk 3,000 feet on a given day. Now, of course, that's going to be a problem, isn't it? So they had a lot of exceptions to the rules. You could walk 3,000 feet, but if you found food on the ground and you ate that food, well, that area that had food is a house. So I guess now you can walk another 3,000 feet from there. You could walk 3,000 feet, but, you know, if you, put, if you had a long hallway... And in between the hallway, you put a plank of wood at the front and the back. Well, now that hallway is a house. You can walk another 3,000 feet once you enter that house. You could only carry the weight of a dried fig. Or you could carry half the weight of a dried fig two times. You could throw something in the air, and you could catch it with your other hand. But if you caught it with the same hand, you'd be sinning. You couldn't take baths because... If you accidentally spilled water out of the bath, well, that would be washing the floors. Women were not allowed to look into mirrors because if they did, they might be tempted to pick out gray hairs. 
Scribes could only uh, carry ink enough to write two letters, A, B, literally two letters. I don't even know how you'd be able to do that. Tailors couldn't carry sewing kits because they'd be tempted to sew things. You couldn't clean clothes because you might kill a bug. Brothers and sisters, the, the Sabbath was to point us to God because we couldn't do it in our own works. But, but instead of responding in a way to rely on God, they added more law. And so what do you have here? This is ridiculous. And, and, the Jews, in another chapter, I think Mark, chapter Mark 2, and, and it's all the synoptics, you can find it, they, they actually tempt Christ. They bring him out with a man with a withered hand. And Christ, in front of everybody, says, wouldn't it be right to heal this man on the Sabbath, to do good? And you can like hear the crickets, basically. No one's going to say anything. And he heals him. But then it says that they hated him in his heart, in their hearts. And why? Why all of this? Christ points us out in chapter 5. They didn't know Christ because they didn't know the Father. They didn't know the Father's words. They never heard the Father's words. They didn't believe the Father's words. So how could they believe the word of God, that is Jesus? Can we, if you'll turn with me, I'd like to read Isaiah chapter 58. I think this illustrates very well what's happening here. This is not the first time that this has happened. You can find it on page 734. We're not going to read all of it, but this passage talks about fasting and the Sabbath day, and I think you'll understand. The difference between working and resting in the works of man versus resting in the works of God. I'm going to read um, the first couple verses through, and then I'll, yeah, anyway, I'll just go through 58, Isaiah 58, uh, the first like seven and a half. Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins, the prophet, to speak to the people. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgments of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. They say, why have we fasted and you see it not? This is the people speaking to God. Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers, just like they oppressed this man. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? That is, in a false way. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, naked sorry, to cover him, and then you can maybe read this later, but I'm going to skip down to number 13. If you turn your back, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, idle, think about that, that's what they wanted, just to be a day of being idle, then you shall take delight in the Lord. If you do those things, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Is that not a warning? Is that not a warning? And that's what we're given here in this passage as well. At this clash, Christ has bringing the kingdom and healing, restoring not just this man, many men, many men and women. And then you hear this voice. It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. If, if he's referring to a, voice, a verse, that verse he's speaking about is not talking about, about this type of, of, of carrying. It's talking about carrying a profit of business transactions. I'll just, let's just read this. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? I mean, already it's interesting because the man says, who, who is it? He said, the man who healed me, but they don't care that he's healed. I mean, that's already in- interesting enough. He's been sick like this for 40 years. He's walking now. And he said, look, I'm healed. They say, why are you picking up your bed? And he says, who told you to pick up your bed? He said, the man who healed me. They're talking about two different things. One, one man's talking about being healed. Another man, all they care about is that he's picking up his bed. Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Again, brothers and sisters, a warning. See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Does it mean that he sinned to be sick? Yeah, maybe. That's very, actually very possible that, that this sickness was caused by his sin. We don't know. But what's more important is the warning. Something worse may happen to you. That is, that his whole body and his, and his whole soul would be thrown into hell for eternal, eternal damnation. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Brothers and sisters, they rejected him because they didn't know God the Father. They didn't know anything about him. They had rejected him long ago. Jesus here, I don't know if we're going to have a chance to read this, but if you read this later, please, chapter 5, you'll see that Christ says, You don't know God because... I know that you don't have the love of God in you. Christ's works are works of love. They don't have the love of God. And in a way, you have the leaders of the Jews saying they know God, and then you have Christ, who, who himself came from God. If you come from God, you bring the love of God. But also, that's the warning of Christ, that in the last day would be the wrath as well. My Father is working, and I am working, working to make people whole, to defeat sin, death, to break bonds, Brothers, if we look, brothers and sisters, if we look at this passage, this miracle now, as a picture of the Sabbath day, as a picture of every Lord's day, one day to be in heaven finally, what does God do each Lord's day? Could it be a picture like this? Could it be that the church itself looks like a multitude of sick people, spiritually sick, who know in themselves that they can't fix their sickness, that they're broken, that they need to be whole? This man says, when he says, do you want to be healed? Yes, but there's no man to put me in the pool. He's saying that to Christ, God and man, the very man that can heal. But isn't that a picture for us? It's beautiful that Christ has been doing that every Sabbath day and will continue to do that every Lord's Day for us. Death will be reunited with our loved ones. We don't have to fear our, our children. What is their fate? Especially maybe even as the country gets worse, maybe we fear for them. God has given them this word. This word will heal them. 
This word will speak to them just as it has to all his people for all eternity. Sins, addictions that we have, those things will be defeated on that day. Do you want to be healed? Jesus was rejected because of this. In fact, it said they wanted to kill him. And that's the other part of this sign that it's pointing to. To be healed, Jesus had to be rejected. He had to go to the cross. He had to be killed. And I just want to read this because I said to you that this is a warning. And so I want to close with this and I want to read verses 34 through 47 of this chapter. Because Christ warns these people. Christ, and he brings the love of God down. And you hear that even in this warning. So let's, let's read this together. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Think that these people are rejecting him actively. He was a burning and a shining lamp. He's talking to John the Baptist. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, that is that healing that he had just done, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me to bring life on the Sabbath day. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me throughout the Old Testament through Moses. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. These Jews, they think that on the last day, when they're standing before God, they're going to say, all my Sabbaths, I carried less than a dried fig. That's what they believe. It's, it, it, it's so sad that that's what they believe is going to fix them. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Even the scriptures without Jesus leads to hell. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses. Moses, the mediator, who they put all their hope on. Moses will accuse you on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? Brothers and sisters, this is a warning to us. We cannot close our eyes to these things. And we cannot look and watch as those around us die and go to hell. Let's hear the words of our Savior, but let's see that he meets us every Lord's day. Let's pray that we'd always see that we're broken and that he's the only answer. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that is Jesus, who in your abundant love came to bring us to you. But we also pray, Lord, that you would remind us of this warning. We look forward to that day of eternal rest with you, but we know, Lord, just like that sign says, hell is real. We pray that you would also remind us that those around us are perishing. 
that even on the Sabbath day and the Lord's day, we would do acts of mercy and love for others, but that we would so look forward to meeting you here, that you would repair us again in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.